it's been really eye-opening to see that I am good at what I do as long as I apply myself. So I always joke about like I've peaked in college. I feel like I've gone downhill since then. And now I'm realizing that that doesn't really matter as long as I feel successful and I'm helping people. So that's kind of where I'm leaning is just how can I help people and still feel good about myself where there's no room for me to print myself down about my successes or my failures. You're listening to Refocus Together. And this is episode seven. Al Chaplin and accepting the good with the bad. Welcome back to Refocused, a podcast all about ADHD. I'm your host, Lindsay Gensel, and today we've got another story in our Refocus Together series, the special project we started last year as a part of our commitment to ADHD Awareness Month. The plan is to share the stories of 31 people with ADHD each day during the month of October. We created Refocus Together as a way to raise awareness on just how complex ADHD is and the different ways it shows up in people's lives. You just heard today's guest, Al Chaplin. Al has a story that might resonate with many listeners. At 25, they were diagnosed with ADHD after years of knowing that there was something more to their mental health struggles than just depression and anxiety. It wasn't until leaving a toxic relationship and seeking help from a therapist that Al could officially begin the process of learning how to live life with ADHD, and explore the possibility of being autistic, too. Mental health advocacy is a cause close to Al's heart, as their father lived with and passed away due to mental illness. They also enjoy creating content for the mental health and the LGBTQ communities. And, as you might recognize their name from the closing credits of our show, they have a passion for podcast work. Let's hear more from Al about what they call the shiny object syndrome, the particulars of self-education when it comes to ADHD, and how sharing your experiences with others can create a positive impact. You can find Al on TikTok and Instagram at mystical underscore Al Hazel. That's mystical underscore Al Hazel. And with that, let's meet our next guest for Refocus Together 2023. Al Chaplin. Well, these interviews are pretty simple for me because they all start off with the exact same questions and then we take it from there. So Al, to get started on your Refocus Together interview, I would like to know when were you diagnosed with ADHD and what was that process like for you? And if you wouldn't mind sharing what sparked that initial conversation. Yeah, so I was diagnosed with ADHD in end of 2021, beginning of 2022, somewhere in between there. And like, I never thought about ADHD because all my life I've kind of had like weird mental health stuff going on. And ADHD was the one I never thought of because, of course, we all grow up with the stereotypes that I'm not the type of person who would have ADHD. And what sparked the conversation is I had just gotten out of a not so great relationship where a lot of the 
bad things that happened was blamed on his ADHD. So you can imagine the, you know, kind of trauma that built in my mind of what ADHD is. And then I started therapy. And my therapist, you know, I'm talking through some of the stuff that happened in the relationship and how it was blamed on ADHD. And I'm like, I don't really understand that, though, because I'm like, I know I don't have ADHD. I thought at the time. But these same things happen to me and I'm not like violent or, you know, these things that were happening. And just throughout talking to this therapist, she's like, I think you have ADHD. Let's, you know, get some further testing done. Because when I went back to therapy, I was like, you know what? It's time. I need to know what's wrong with me. Obviously, nothing's actually wrong. Um, but you feel that way growing up, of course. And yeah, the therapist was like, let's get you further. So they paired me with like an income-based psychiatrist who gave me the testing and it found out, yeah, I have ADHD. And they were like, you know, my therapist was joking about it with me later about how, yeah, you're very ADHD. And I'm like, I know. Once you see it, it's really hard to unsee it. And then you right. go, how did I not see it sooner? Right. And everybody's always like, well, when I was telling people in my like family in my life, they're like, I would have known if you had ADHD. And I'm like, well, obviously not, because I'm actually doing research. And most of these are me. <laughs> you mentioned the testing that you went through. And testing right now is so different for so many different people. And it definitely depends on, like you mentioned, economic status, where you mm -hmm. live. If you have insurance, you don't have insurance. What was testing like for you? So for me, I was already in with a lovely income-based therapist, and I was just getting out of a relationship, moving back with family, getting a new job, like everything was changing. So all of that was happening. And the therapist was like, well, we think we have some resources for you. It was through a grant that they applied for where they could get like actual psychiatric help for people who needed it through a doctor. And it was literally just one or two sessions of me sitting and chatting with this doctor, him making his notes. And I never actually spoke with him beyond that. She was the one who was actually like, so your test results came back. You have ADHD. And I was like, oh, great. And she's like, so what next steps would you like to take? And I was like, well, we can try some medication. And then that I went through my primary care physician for the medication. So... It was a lengthier process, but it wasn't terrible. You mentioned, you know, growing up and living with some mental health disorders or things that were concerning in your life. And I have kind of the same journey of being diagnosed and treated for so many different things until we finally stumbled upon ADHD. <laughs> I'm wondering if, as you were testing for the ADHD and, and since you've been diagnosed, if you've kind of had that moment where you realized that all of the things you were doing to try and treat those things, none of them were actually ever working or you were like waiting for it to work. Because mm -hmm. I think what's really hard with anything you're dealing with with your mental health is it's very subjective. It's not like you're getting a, a test readout like, look, you're improving. And so exactly. I just remember being treated for anxiety and depression and being put on SSRIs and just feeling like, well, one of these days I'll feel it, you know, like it'll come. Whereas as soon as I was diagnosed with ADHD and I was properly medicated, it was like, oh, this is what it's supposed to feel like. Exactly. And I still haven't had that like eyeglass moment of like putting on the glasses and something finally working. 
But growing up, I always knew depression and anxiety was there, like always ruled my life, number one. My dad actually had a bunch of different mental health diagnoses, like he was in the hospital most of my life and things like that. So every time I was diagnosed with something, they basically just looked at his chart and looked at what was genetic. So I've been diagnosed with, misdiagnosed with schizophrenia before and things like that. And it's still kind of in that phase of, I don't know what I have, quote unquote, but now we know the ADHD is there. And they've been recently talking about a possible like autism, maybe, maybe not. So we'll see what the future holds. <laughs> I bet that was hard for you, not only dealing with that as, as a kid, watching your dad go through that, but then to be just grandfathered in because of genetics. And yes, genetics play a huge part in this, but nature versus nurture and who you are as a human and what you're exposed to are also massive parts of how our mental health shows up in our lives. Would you mind just talking a little bit about some of the feelings you had, you know, watching your father, but then also kind of knowing that these were things that you might be predisposed for? Yeah. So my father, he actually left when I was like seven or eight and went to Indiana, which is where his family lived. So like most of what I saw of that was you know, seven years old and before, and he was an alcoholic, drug addict, all that, that kind of, you know, exacerbated what was already there. So growing up like that, that already gave me like, you know, a sense of, you know, unsafety, even though like my family who was still around always made me feel nothing but safe. But of course, you always have that in your head that you're not. And then I actually did not seek any additional diagnosis beyond anxiety and depression until after he passed away. And the first thing I did was we had like college counselors and I talked to them and I was like, how can I seek higher help? And that's when I spoke to my first psychiatrist and they misdiagnosed me with schizophrenia. And a lot of the symptoms just wasn't there for me. Like some were, some wasn't. So it's been just an ongoing battle since I was like 18 years old trying to actually figure out what was there and therefore trying to find what will help for me. And that's why bringing it back around to ADHD, like finally knowing that's what's there and not being gaslit by my ex that, oh, no way you could have ADHD or just knowing like how my brain works is very aligned to a lot of people. And it's been very eye opening. Well, I'm so sorry that you went through that. I just, I do want to applaud you for seeking out help and just how frustrating that must have been to want to get help and to not have the avenues to do it. I mean, we can talk for hours about healthcare in this country, but mental healthcare is so hard because it really is invisible. And it's not typically until people start acting out in ways that people go, oh, well, let's get them help. And then you know, we have issues with, you know, people being misdiagnosed. Exactly. And I live in the South. We're not exactly known for our great mental health care. So that definitely, I think, contributed to like location of where you live. That's also going to be a lot like in how you're going to get mental health care and when. So let's talk about living with ADHD. This is a new journey for you with having the four letters, you know, next to your name. But you've lived as Al for your entire life, and you know now what you see in the 
diagnostic criteria for ADHD of of what you know shows up in your life. And and so I'm curious when you look at attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and how it shows up for you, where do you see the biggest struggles? Mine is definitely the inattentive type for sure. And it's always been struggles with kind of remembering basic things, but more like not the stereotypical, oh, I forgot that. It's, oh, I forgot how to take care of myself today. Or I'm sitting in bed and I know I need to do so many things and get so much done. And then I get burnt out from thinking about how much I need to get done that I don't do it, which I took me a while to learn the term executive dysfunction. So that's definitely my biggest struggle with ADHD is just I always felt like I wasn't functioning as an adult before I knew it was ADHD. And even now, me and my friends will joke about functioning like an adult. But that's really what it feels like. You're like, oh, I'm this, you know, I'm this age. And I know a lot of people feel this way. Like, I'm 26 years old. I should know how to take care of myself. I should instinctively get up and brush my teeth, but I don't. I have to have an alarm to do that. It's also so interesting, this idea of adulting and what we are just expected to know as humans. And I'm starting to realize that like, if I wasn't actually taught how to do something where someone sat me down and taught me in a way that worked for my brain, I don't retain anything. And so like these expectations that are set in adulthood, like you mentioned, like joking about it, it's really, I think, debilitating for a lot of people. But it's so hard to admit it because there's this expectation that you're just supposed to get it. Exactly. And, you know, sometimes around here, they always joke about like adulting classes and like you don't learn anything in high school. So I was always very book smart. I love history. I love science, all of that. But, you know, give me a map and ask me to read it. I'm not going to be able to do that without taking like an hour to study the map. And then I can recite it very easily. But, yeah, it's the basic like adulting stuff. And I was very lucky. My mom always drilled into me about money. So that is a skill I have. But that's the only skill that I feel like I have as an adult. You know, like with money, we're all just, you know, searching for this dopamine rush and it's such an easy one and i i keep joking that if i could figure out how to make saving money really sexy for like the neurodiverse brain that would be just like the best path to go down because it is so incredibly hard so kudos to you like i know you you say like that's the only skill you have as an adult but that is a very very good one to have Right. And I actually have to make saving money like a game. Like I have a journal where I have like the chart that you see in fundraiser movies where you color in the like thermometer. That's the only way I can save money is if I see I can check something off or check a block, then I'm good. Other than that, nope, it's gone the second I don't see it. But I love that you know what you need to do for yourself. And you mentioned one thing that I want to go back to. You said, you know, some days I forget to brush my teeth. So you have to set an alarm for that. What else have you implemented in your life to kind of alleviate some of the struggles that you find yourself dealing with because of your ADHD? Yeah, so getting a Samsung watch was actually life-changing. I did that like a month ago. And I have all my reminders, all of my to-do lists, all of my alarms just right there. And I know what I need to do. It even tells me when to drink water and when I need to stand up. And some days, of course, I can do that myself. But other days I look down, I'm like, wow, I haven't stood up for an hour. Maybe I should go do that. 
So that's been really great. And I'm a virtual assistant, so managing my own clients and stuff. I'm very good at managing other people's lives, just not my own. Well, it's the joke I always make. Like, I would rather come to your house and clean your house than clean my my house. And why Mm -hmm. it's more fun to do it at yours than mine, I don't know. Because there's new stuff, new shiny objects to look at. (laughs) Yes, and it probably does fill up, you know, our helper cups. You know, it's like, oh, I'm going to somebody else's house and I'm helping them. Whereas if we could spin it in our head that doing little things for ourselves actually make life a lot easier, especially down the road. But it's sometimes hard for us to see that when it's, you know, something we're dealing with all the time. Oh, for sure. And body doubling is another thing I do a lot since learning about it. One of my best friends also have ADHD and we'll go to each other's houses and I'll sit and do work on my laptop and they'll clean their room while we have a movie we want to watch on and we get our stuff done and it's great. (laughs) I wish we lived closer because I suggest this to my neurotypical boyfriend all the time. I'm like, why don't we work together and we'll have a show on? He's like, well, how do you work with the show on? And I'm like, well, you just do because then it makes it enjoyable. And it is. It's so funny. It's like, Sometimes we just need to bribe ourselves with something like good company or, you know, that accountability or a rerun of a show we've watched a million times and and (laughs) get it done. Exactly. So you mentioned, you know, some of the things that you've added in recently. I'm curious when you look back at life, if there were things that were kind of a struggle for you. So some people are just not like paper planners, you know, it's just not their thing or like the traditional to do list. Are there any things that you see? that have kind of been, I don't know, like maybe even marketed towards, you know, the ADHD brain and you just go, no, that's just not going to work for me. Oh, for sure. It's funny you brought up planners because I want to be the person who uses a pretty paper planner, like bullet journaling. I went through this phase where I was like, I'm going to bullet journal, spent a bunch of money on art supplies, you know, because I was going to take up this new hobby. It didn't happen. I don't bullet journal. But yeah, definitely like paper planners or just like the quote unquote normal ways of doing things never worked for me like throughout school. So for example, I'll give the best example in college. I took a theater history course because I'm a theater major. It's a very hard course. It's known for being very difficult. I would never actually learn the vocabulary. I would learn how to spell the vocabulary so I could write it on the test because spelling counted anyway. And to this day, like, I can read a text and tell you, oh, that what part of theater history that is, but a random vocabulary word or a name of like a very old actor in the medieval times, I can't tell you. And I aced that course and people still use my Quizlets. So that is very impressive. It is interesting. I think, you know, hindsight is a gift and a curse in in so many of our lives. But I think the older I get, the more I understand about myself, the more I'm talking about myself and you know how life kind of comes at me, so to speak. And you realize that we all went to a very one-size-fits-all education. We went mm-hmm. through this school system that was built for you know one person, one brain. And so many of us learn in so many different ways. And it's nice to be at a point where We are acknowledging that a little bit more. I think there's some grief with that because knowing what I know now about how I learn best and how I function best in that setting, if I had been able to change things, I would have and it would have been a different experience. 
Right. And I spent a lot of time at first, for sure, like kind of mourning who I could have became if it wasn't for ADHD or for the depression or anxiety or whatever else might be there. I've definitely had my times where I'm like, you know what? I wish I wasn't neurodivergent. I wish I could just do things like everybody else can. And then I think back and I'm like, no, because it makes me me. I wouldn't have the friends I have. I wouldn't, because, you know, us people, who's neurodivergent, we stick together. So I wouldn't have my best friends. I wouldn't, you know, have the experiences I've had. So I am very thankful for it at the end of the day. But yeah, some things could be a little easier without the little ADHD monster, like kind of behind me all the time. Exactly. I completely agree with that. Totally. There is the grief for sure. But you're so young, you have so much time ahead of you. And you know, I think what I am so inspired by with this podcast and having these conversations is just reminding people that, you know, life is a crazy journey. And I think, I don't know about you, but I really thought I was going to be exactly who I wanted to be right out of college. And very quickly, you realize that that is not the case for 99% of the people in this world. And, And so it's so nice to see culture kind of embracing these later in life, you know, blossoming, so to speak. Oh, yeah, for sure. And like I was a theater production major. I thought I was going to be in Seattle right now, like stage managing big productions. Well, then, of course, the funniest thing happened, COVID, because I graduated in 2019. But yeah, your life just takes turns. And honestly, I still don't know what I want to do with my life. And in a way, I'm thankful that I learned at 26 and not like 46. But at the same time, I'm just, you still have that part of you that's like, no, I need to figure it out. And then that other one that's like, no, it's fine. Just do everything until you find something. Well, that's a perfect segue to kind of talk about where you see yourself thriving in life right now with, you know, ADHD and all the things that you're learning about yourself and, you know, some of the the new coping strategies that you're adding into life. What's working out for you? What are you proud of? Since I've learned my diagnosis and since actually starting to work on this podcast and listening to other people's stories, I really see my relationships thriving and not in the romantic sense, but just with family and friends. Like I definitely used to consider myself the person with no friends or I would always think everyone hated me. And now I'm able to double check those emotions, especially with rejection sensitivity which is another big struggle for me. I'm always having to double check myself. I'm like, no, nobody hates you. It's okay. Just have a conversation. Normal friendships have these kind of conversations. (laughs) Oh, God. I love that that is also something you've experienced. I mean, I don't love it. I hate that you've experienced that. But to know that I'm not alone, because I think sometimes when you explain rejection-sensitive dysphoria to a neurotypical person and you're like, Hey, so there's this thing where I can walk into a room and even if my best friends are there, I will think that no one wants me there and I will create these stories that I will tell myself over and over again to the point where I will like physically respond to these emotions that I am quite honestly making up in my head. And they look at you and they're like, "I'm wait, I'm sorry, what? But I love that you've figured out how to check yourself. And so what is that conversation like? And if you don't mind and you remember... What was it like when you first learned about rejection sensitivity? I definitely used to be the person who, and I kind of regret throughout college, I would isolate myself because I felt like no one wanted me there and I would blame it on 
Like, oh, I'm the stage manager. No actor wants their stage manager to be hanging out at a party with them, right? So I would blame it on these, like, now that I look back, stupid little things. And when I learned my diagnosis and I learned about rejection sensitivity, I was like, oh, wow, people actually care about me and want me in their lives. I'm a net positive. And still sometimes I will, you know, come to my best friend's house and we're like a little friend group with like me, her boyfriend and all. So sometimes, you know, I'm just like, "Hmm, should I really be here? And then I'm like, wait, she wouldn't have invited me if she did not want me here. And even now it gets to the point where we joke about her boyfriend being the third wheel. That was kind of my glasses moment that I've had so far where it's like you try on a pair of glasses and it's not quite the right prescription lens, but it's kind of there. So I started learning about these major things that I wanted to make changes in my life. That's awesome. I'm glad that you were able to have that even with rejection sensitive dysphoria because it can be so debilitating and so consuming and just it makes you feel really awful. And then like you said, then you isolate yourself, which just makes it worse. Right. I'm curious when you look at life right now and where you are, keeping in mind graduating college, going into the pandemic, being diagnosed with ADHD, it is all a lot. And you kind of probably feel like the last few years you've been, you know, reacting to life a little bit more than kind of making things happen for yourself. But I'm curious, what is giving you hope and what is kind of pushing you forward right now? For me, I would definitely say it's the people I'm close to in my life. Friends and family is very, very important to me because like when I look at a career status or anything like that, I don't see myself moving forward, even though I know in reality I am moving forward and I do good work. But I don't see myself that way. So I really have to rely on my friendships to kind of hold me up and sometimes, you know, bless them because all of my friends have to remind me that, like, I'm not just stuck in life. And if I didn't have that, I don't know where I would be. You mentioned, you know, not feeling like you're moving forward in your career, but knowing you are, do you think sometimes you have a hard time acknowledging or kind of identifying and laying claim to your successes? Because I think this is something that I, I hear from a lot of people with inattentive ADHD. We we don't want to be too boastful. We don't want to come across as egotistical. So then we just hide everything. And then it goes the opposite direction where we feel like we're failures. Yeah, definitely. So like right now, I'm kind of in this transition in my career jobs, still trying to figure out what I want to do. And I'm, you know, slowly telling the people I work with and they're just all like, oh, we don't want to lose you. Like that kind of sucks, but do what's best for you. It's been really eye opening to see that I am good at what I do as long as I apply myself. So I always joke about like I've peaked in college because I feel like I've gone downhill since then because I was doing so much theater stuff. I was going to London and then get out of college and I'm, you know, scraping pennies trying to make by just to figure out what I enjoy doing. And now I'm realizing that that doesn't really matter as long as I feel successful and I'm helping people. So that's kind of where I'm leaning is just how can I help people and still feel good about myself where, 
there's no room for me to put myself down about my successes or my failures. I'm curious if you've thought at all about your brain and how it functions and all of the things that are wonderful about it and how that connects with theater life. The comparison I make is like, I worked in restaurants for a really, really long time. And like, I loved going and working so hard for like, you know, six hours and you would just like put it all into a shift and then you would go home and you would be exhausted. And then you'd wake up the next day and you'd have like this big long break until your shift started. But it's kind of similar in theater life. You know, you go through the rehearsals and then you open the production and then you've got the run. But you always know in the back of your head that that commitment is coming to an end at some point. And I think that's why theater always has worked so well for me. And I'm looking to get back into it because I get bored very easily. And now I know that's probably an ADHD thing. I've never stuck to doing one thing for more than like a year, one job. Like I'm a certified job hopper. I'm a professional at it at this point. And it's because I need something to kind of cycle around to feel like I've succeeded or failed at it, where I can look back at it and go, oh, this is what I did good. This is what I can do better at. And also with theater, I was a stage manager. Like that's what I do. So Again, it took out where I have to manage myself. I get to manage other people instead and get to make something beautiful out of that. And I don't have to rely on myself to do that. I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about any connections you might have seen between your gender identity and then how your ADHD shows up in your life. So I have gone through kind of a huge tidal wave in figuring out my gender identity. And right now I identify as trans mass, so I still use they, them pronouns. But I feel like how that applies with the ADHD is I don't think I would be like gender fluid, trans mask if I didn't have ADHD. Because I think it kind of goes like with my job example of kind of how I fluctuate and I feel like I need to always be changing. I think my gender identity kind of feels the same way where I don't like to be in a box. I like to feel like I can be outside of that box. And for me, gender identity gives me that. And it also took me a long time to learn my gender identity and start exploring that. So I do kind of lump that in with my exploration of mental health and ADHD because it's just everything is so different and just fluctuates. What were some of the things that you did when you were starting that exploration process? I was a gender studies minor in college. So going to college, I really like I knew what trans was, like the gay community. But again, I live in the South. It wasn't a major part of my education. So I didn't know gender fluidity or really identifying as anything. But like fully, I want to transition all the surgeries. I didn't know that was an option. So learning that was an option. The first thing I did was experiment with my pronouns. and cutting my hair and how I dressed, and then eventually my name. And that has become such an important part of me because it kind of lines up with my discovery of myself as an adult and how I view the world. And I feel like if I viewed the world through the lens of one gender, I wouldn't be able to understand like the experiences of how I view the world as much. So, yeah. What is something that you wish people knew or understood better about ADHD that you've kind of 
had some moments to reflect on since your diagnosis? I just kind of wish people understood that we are going back to what we talked about in the beginning, we are adulting in our own ways. We are adults. We can still do adult things, even if we have to do them differently. And not to kind of be so hard on people for that, because I'll, you know, air out my dirty laundry. I cannot clean. Like, I am terrible at remembering to clean. I oftentimes, I live with my grandfather, so I oftentimes have to be reminded to do something, but I'm up and I'll do it in a heartbeat. Like, I don't mind doing it. It's just sometimes I have to be reminded of these things. And that's a big one that I'm just like, have grace with people when they forget to do things or they forget a conversation that you had and just kind of remind them instead of being like, oh, I can't believe you forgot. Or um, if you accidentally double book, like just be patient with people is the biggest thing, whether it's ADHD or not. Just learn patience with people is, I guess, my message. (laughs) What is the one cleaning task that is just the thorn in your side? Because we all have them. Oh, goodness. Laundry. Folding my laundry. It will sit in the dryer for days unless my grandpa will be like, hey, I need to do laundry. Do you have anything in there? And I'm like, oh, crap. I have laundry in the dryer that I need to fold. And still, it'll stay in the like guest room, laundry room for weeks until I remember to put it up or until I'm out of clothes again and have to do laundry. <laughs> laundry is, I think, a difficult one because there's just so many steps to it. And there's so much time in between the steps. Like you have to run the washing machine and then you have to remember to go back to the washing machine and, and move everything to the dryer. My weird quirk, and this is it's a very weird quirk, is I love to iron And I think it's something about feeling very accomplished after ironing stuff. Mm -hmm. But then it's kind of like a double-edged sword because the second it gets wrinkled again, then I'm like, I lose my mind. (laughs) Oh, yeah. See, I don't iron anything. I know I probably should, but yeah, stuff is not getting ironed. It's barely getting folded. Well, I I would also, I should preface this by saying I like to iron. It doesn't mean that I actually do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a mood. Uh, I just want to wrap up and, and kind of give you the opportunity. You know, we we touched on a lot of different things, but if there was something that you wanted to share about your journey and what you've learned about yourself with your ADHD that maybe you just didn't get an opportunity in the questions that I asked, like, throw it out there. I guess I'll just say, like, just like I say with everybody, learn patience for people with ADHD. If you just learn you have ADHD or you've learned a long time ago and you're still struggling with it, have patience with yourself. You are not abnormal. You just think a different way and you have to do things a different way. And there's always, you're always going to be able to figure out that way. Even if it takes 20, 30 years to do it, you'll figure it out. And those five minutes after you figure it out will be the best five minutes of your life. Al, it was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And we're so grateful, seriously, so grateful to have you as a part of our production team. And I just wish the best for you with everything that's still to come because there is so much more ahead. But just thank you so much for making time for us and for sharing your story with the Refocus community. Of course. Thank you for having me. It's been a blessing. It was so great to get to spend this time talking with Al. I mean, obviously, our ADHD comes up in conversation when we're working together. 
but I really appreciated having this one-on-one time with them, and it means a lot to me that they shared their story with us. What I find so special about Refocus Together is the willingness of our guests to explore their vulnerability, all in an effort to help our community. And my conversation with Al was no different. They were so honest about not only their journey with ADHD, but also shared parts of their life that are probably hard to put on display, like their father's struggle with mental health issues. It's something I've shared my own experience with on the podcast, and I just want to take a moment to commend Al for opening up about something that typically carries a heavy load of stigma with it. My conversation with Al also made me think about trauma and the role it can play in the life of a neurodiverse person. It's common for ADHDers to underestimate the profound impact trauma can have in our lives. This often leads to an unwillingness in discussing an issue. People may choose not to speak up due to feeling uneasy or embarrassed, or because they're worried about their own safety. We know that traumatic stress can worsen ADHD symptoms, like the death of a loved one, community violence, and bullying, all of which can impact symptoms. According to research, as many as 17% of children who have experienced trauma meet the criteria for ADHD, and the presence of both conditions makes each condition worse. Trauma also has an impact on specific brain regions, which can increase inattention, impulsivity, hyperactivity, social and learning difficulties, and other symptoms of common comorbidities such as anxiety and mood disorders. There is so much more that we can unpack from Al's journey with ADHD, but I want to just wrap up by saying that my favorite, without a doubt, absolute favorite moment, was when they shared their struggles with rejection-sensitive dysphoria and how, through self-discovery and checking their emotions, they were able to see themselves for what they actually are a net positive in the lives of their friends and family. The stories we tell ourselves can be downright awful, and it can feel impossible to break away from them. I'm so proud of Al for putting in the work to face those challenges. I hope if rejection-sensitive dysphoria is something you struggle with, that Al's story is one that gives you hope about what's possible on the other side. Once again, a huge thank you to Al Chaplin for not only sharing their story with us on Refocus Together, but for sharing so many of their talents with us as well. You are, without a doubt, a net positive for our team, Al. Over in the show notes, we've included links to connect with Al on TikTok and Instagram, as well as some links to more resources on the connection between ADHD and trauma, as well as a more in-depth look at rejection-sensitive dysphoria with Dr. William Dodson. We have so much in store for you still to come for ADHD Awareness Month. To catch all of the 31 stories we're sharing this month, make sure to subscribe to Refocused wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you back here tomorrow as Refocused Together 2023 continues on. Support for Refocus comes from our partner, ADHD Online, a telemedicine mental health care company that provides affordable and accessible ADHD assessments and treatment plans. To learn how they can help you on your journey, head to ADHDonline.com. And remember to use the promo code 
REFOCUS20 to receive $20 off your ADHD online assessment right now. The biggest thanks go out to our team at ADHD Online. Keith Boswell, Suzanne Spruitt, Melanie Mile, Claudia Gotti, and Trisha Merchandunny for their constant support in helping make Refocus Together happen. These 31 episodes were produced thanks to our managing editor, Sarah Platinitis, our production coordinator, Phil Rodeman, social media specialist and editor, Al Chaplin, and me, the host and executive producer of Refocused, Lindsay Gensel. To connect with the show on social media, you can find us online at RefocusPod. And you can email the show directly, hello at RefocusPod.com. That's hello at RefocusPod.com.